0: This is Kat Kling, and Smith with Retro Crime. We recently stayed with some good friends in Williamsburg, and I was able to take pictures of the James River, where this episode begins. The same James River where the Jamestown settlement was. I have to say, it's refreshing to do an episode that isn't within 100 miles of Pittsburgh. It's important for me to visit where these things happen so that I can get a deeper understanding. That's easier to do when I can drive there in an afternoon. Also, people who died a long time ago seem more like fictional characters instead of someone as real as, say, the cashier at the grocery store. On the plus side, because of the distance time creates, I don't get too many people complaining about my insensitivity and saying stuff like, ooh, too soon. Um, In researching people and seeing places related to them and the crimes... I start feeling a relationship of sorts with them, like someone's baby will have been born in the 1920s and I'll think of them as a child because that's what they were when the crime happened. I don't perceive them as grandparents, which is the age they would have been when I was a child myself. So human souls are timeless in that regard. This episode doesn't have children in it, fortunately, because it's pretty gruesome. On December 30th of 1918, the body of a young woman was found in tree roots by the north bank of the James River. It was assumed to be a suicide at first, except a wire was tied around her waist. It was deduced that it had been tied to something heavy, like an anchor, but had gotten loose. That was too suspicious to ignore. However, a year prior, a man had put on a belt he weighted with rocks and drowned himself in the James River. When people are motivated, they find a way. It was hard to tell much because the woman's body appeared to have been in the water for about a month by that point. The first person who contacted the police to identify the body was the mother of a 14-year-old girl who had married a restaurant worker in the area the year prior and never returned home. She claimed to be unhappy in her marriage and her parents sent her money to return home. They suspected that the girl's husband took the money and killed her, but it wasn't their daughter. After the autopsy was performed, it was discovered that the woman in the water wasn't exactly young. She was 48 years old. Also, she hadn't inhaled water, so she had stopped breathing before being submerged. Somehow, her stomach contents were still able to be examined. They were sent off to a specialist to look for poison. They didn't necessarily find poison. They found chloroform. The next people to try to identify the body were families from Georgia and Pennsylvania. Both had daughters who had been to the area and hadn't returned, but they were too young to be the woman. However, the second of the girls who had disappeared had been engaged to an army officer, and the man couldn't be found. The father of the girl was insistent that it was his daughter because the woman in the water's jacket had been one of an army officer. Also, a taxi driver had transported a woman and an army officer near that spot on the James in late November. Much to the relief of the family and the exasperation of the police, I'm sure, their daughter was found alive, but the man she was engaged to was nowhere to be found. Police then moved on to looking for the officer's wife, who was also found alive, so no wonder he ran away. I'm surprised he didn't wind up in the water himself. Then unclaimed baggage was reported at the train depot with the name ripped off. No one knew where it came from or when it had been left there. Then on January 21st of 1919, a woman arrived at the police station and described in detail the corset the woman in the water may have been wearing. It was mended in a certain place, and in November, she had witnessed the woman mending it herself. Uh, She was brought to see the body and positively identified it as the woman who had been staying at her hotel until she disappeared on November 24th. Her husband had come by saying his wife, Sue, had run into old friends and decided on a whim to travel with them. He was just getting her stuff for her. A warrant was sent out for the arrest of Captain William Amos Hadley, also known as Dr. Bill Hadley, who was an army doctor and had recently been discharged. Sue Hadley's sister was notified and arrived at the police station in Williamsburg with a letter from Bill Hadley saying that he and his wife had gone to Puerto Rico and she died there. Due to local health laws, her body had to be buried the following day. Another letter was sent from Bill's hometown in Texas, lamenting the loss of his wife, talking about the amount of despair and pain he was in, they had been together six years, he didn't know how he could go on, etc. When the dentist from Texas arrived, who had done the crowns of Sue's teeth, confirmed from her dental records that the body was definitely Sue Hadley, a warrant went out for Dr. Bill Hadley's arrest. Bill and Sue had met when she moved to Texas to teach music. Bill had grown up modestly, with his parents owning the only grocery store in a small town in Kansas. Bill was ambitious, and he went to college at the University of Texas. At 20 years old, he married a girl named Bertha and continued his education all the way through medical school. When he became a doctor, he noticed that he was treated like he was more important than before, so he dished Bertha, who he felt was holding him back. He now had dreams of prestige and wealth. In his early 30s, he met a pretty woman named Sue, who was 12 years older than he was, but refined and grew up wealthy. Despite her family warning her, she married him. Soon, he felt duped when he realized that her family had money, but she didn't. She was just a lowly music teacher, and while she was crazy about him, his eyes wandered elsewhere. At one point, he had to move practices to a different town because a nurse he had shown interest in showed too much interest back. When the Great War started, the Great War being World War I, as there was no concept of another one happening, Bill joined the army as a medical doctor. This was a way that he could get away from his wife, so he was stationed in Virginia and she remained in Texas. He told her that wives weren't allowed to the hospital, and this wouldn't be forever, just a temporary situation while the war was going on. The hospital Bill had worked at came to the police station and showed police photos of Bill with a young nurse. They weren't compromising photos, but it was still curious as to why they were taken together. They found the nurse, whose name was Gladys, and she was bewildered by the whole thing. She had met Dr. Hadley at the hospital, and he pursued her. She was hesitant to get involved because he was married to a woman in California, so he said. He assured her that he and his wife were divorcing, and he was going to California to finalize it. November 11th had marked the end of the Great War, and she knew that both he and Gladys would be going their separate ways soon. He proposed to her, and she accepted. On November 24th, he had given her gold jewelry with an inscription professing his love for her. The detectives examined it, and although faint, Sue's initials were still on it. She had been wearing it the day she went missing. Bill had sent Gladys several letters since leaving town, one of which said that his wife died of the flu, so there is no longer a need for divorce. After an extensive search, law enforcement turned to Pinkerton detectives for help. I just found out that they're still around. In fact, in the last few years, Starbucks and Amazon have hired them to sniff out any union talk. Bill Hadley was finally found by them in 1921, living in New Mexico, practicing medicine under the name Dr. Wentworth. He didn't resist and confessed and gave his side of the story. When the war started, he did his civic duty and signed on as an army doctor. This gave him the chance to part with a wife he was no longer in love with and wasn't going to give him the lifestyle he wanted. While stationed at an army hospital in Virginia, he fell in love with Gladys, who was planning on returning to her hometown of Brooklyn after the war. He was desperate to be with her. After the war ended, Sue thought that she and her husband could be together again, so she surprised him by showing up at the train station in Richmond, Virginia. He put her in a hotel and said that he had to stay at the hospital and wives still weren't allowed there, but he would see her as often as he could. And He said that as soon as she arrived, that's when he began plotting how he was going to get rid of her so that he could have Gladys. On November 24th, he took a 12-hour leave of absence and surprised Sue in the middle of the day, saying that he had something romantic planned. They took a taxi to the James River, where he had a boat for them. It was cold out, so Bill gave Sue his coat to wear. He offered her a sip of a flask, which she agreed to in the spirit of fun. She took a bigger swig than he anticipated, because the core in it was supposed to knock her out only, not kill her. She dropped that in the boat, and he was frustrated because the plan was to drown her so that there was water in her lungs, then drop her off of a bridge so that it looked like suicide. Instead, he improvised by tying the anchor to her and throwing her out of the boat. They tried to cover his bases by writing letters, but when Sue's body was found, he had to escape and create a new life for himself elsewhere, while Gladys returned home and married a local physician. Then Bill denied ever confessing this. It took the jury only 20 minutes to return with a guilty verdict. In December of 1921, a smidge over three years since killing his wife, Army Captain Dr. Wilmer Amos Hadley was killed in the electric chair at the penitentiary in Richmond, Virginia. I'm not qualified to diagnose anyone with anything, so my guesses are for entertainment purposes only. That said, in the spirit of entertainment, have you ever met someone with narcissistic personality disorder? If you had a partner with it, my heart goes out to you. They have delusions of grandeur and want someone of high status, but they can't stand feeling inferior when they actually have them. They start with love bombing. The person thereafter feels special and might not initially be attracted. It's like a swindle. When the mark gives in, there's this brief period of bliss, and then the narcissist loses interest and seeks their next victim. A person with this disorder is empty without praise and adoration, so they need a constant fresh supply. The person who has fallen for them is bewildered because they did nothing wrong. Their partner suddenly lost interest, but didn't outright say it because, oh no, they can't be the bad guy. They wait until their partner does something wrong and will egg them on, only to finally have a reason to pass the blame. There's no such thing as an amicable breakup. They are incapable of empathy. So it sounds like Bill Hadley had narcissistic personality disorder. He had delusions of grandeur, like wanting to marry a woman with money so that he could have a lavish lifestyle while being respected as a doctor. He love-bombed Gladys, he proposed quickly. As far as a breakup, he killed his loving and trusting wife in desperation to keep Gladys, who married another doctor before Bill was even found. He thought he could outsmart others. It is hard to have compassion for someone with a mental illness that manifests as evil. People with it usually don't get the help they need because it's an illness that convinces them that they're not the one causing the problem. The best thing we can do is not ignore red flags. Sure, we can feel bad that people with this disorder live in a chronic state of emptiness. They can't experience real love because people aren't people. They are supplies to feed their ego. With that compassion we have, we also can then get as far away from them as possible before winding up in a river tangled up in tree roots.